Chapter thirty five of Hands of Iceland by Victor Hugo. Translated by Abby Langdon Alger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sonia. Chapter thirty five. Beat the drums. They come. They come. They have all sworn and all the same oath never to return to Castile without the captive count, their lord. They have his marble statue in a chariot and are resolved never to turn back until they see the statue itself turn back. And in token that the first man who retraces his steps will be regarded as a traitor, they have all raised their right hand and taken an oath. And they march toward Arlanson, as swiftly as the oxen which dragged the chariot could go. They tarry no more than does the sun. Burgos is deserted. Only the women and children remain behind, and so too in the suburbs. They talk, as they go, of horses and falcons, and question whether they should free Castile from the tribute she pays Leon. And before they enter Navarre, they meet upon the frontier. Old Spanish Romance While the preceding conversation was going on in one of the forests on the outskirts of Lake Miosen, the rebels, divided into three columns, left Absilcor Leadmine by the chief entrance, which opens, on a level with the ground, in a deep ravine. Ordner, who in spite of his desire for a closer acquaintance with Cannibal, had been placed under Norbith's command, at first saw nothing but a long line of torches, whose beams, vying with the early light of dawn, were reflected back from hatchets, pitchforks, mattocks, clubs with iron heads, huge hammers, pickaxes, crowbars, and all the rude implements which could be borrowed from their daily toil, mingled with genuine weapons of warfare, such as muskets, pikes, swords, carbines and guns, which showed that this revolt was a conspiracy. When the sun rose and the glow of the torches was no more than smoke, he could better observe the aspect of this strange army, which advanced in disorder, with hoarse songs and fierce shouts, like a band of hungry wolves in pursuit of a dead body. It was divided into three parts. First came the mountaineers from Kjölen, under command of Cannibal, whom they all resembled in their dress of wild beast-skins, and in their bold savage mien. Then followed the young miners led by Norbith, and the older ones under Jonas, with their broad-brimmed hats, loose trousers, bare arms and blackened faces, gazing at the sun in mute surprise. Above this noisy band floated a confused sea of scarlet banners, bearing various mottoes such as Long live Schumacher! Let us free our deliverer! Freedom for miners! Liberty for Count Griffenfeld! Death to Guldenlev! Death to all oppressors! Death to Dalefeld! The rebels seemed to regard these standards rather in the light of a burden than an ornament, and they were passed frequently from hand to hand when the color-bearers were tired or desired to mingle the discordant notes of their horns with the psalm-singing and shouts of their comrades. The rearguard of this strange army consisted of ten or a dozen carts drawn by reindeer and strong mules, doubtless meant to carry ammunition, and the vanguard of the giant, escorted by Hackett, who marched alone, armed with a mace and an axe, followed at a considerable distance, with no small terror, by the men under command of Cannibal, who never took his eyes from him, as if anxious not to lose sight of his diabolical leader during the various transformations which he might be pleased to undergo. This stream of insurgents poured down the mountainside with many confused noises, filling the pine woods with the sound of their horns. 
Their numbers were soon swelled by various reinforcements from Sundmoor, Hupfalo, Kongsberg, and a troop of iron workers from Lake Mjösen, who presented a singular contrast to the rest of the rebels. They were tall, powerful men, armed with hammers and tongs, their broad leather aprons being their only shield, a huge wooden cross their only standard, as they marched soberly and rhythmically, with a regular tread more religious than military, their only war-song being biblical psalms and canticles. They had no leader but their cross-bearer, who walked before them unarmed. The rebel troop met not a single human being on their road. As they approached, the goat-herd drove his flocks into a cave, and the peasant forsook his village. For the inhabitant of the valley and plain is everywhere alike. He fears the bandit's horn as much as the bowman's blast. Thus they traversed hills and forests, with here and there a small settlement, followed winding roads where traces of wild beasts were more frequent than the footprint of man, skirted lakes, crossed torrents, ravines, and marshes. Ordner recognized none of these places. Once only his eye, as he looked up, caught upon the horizon the dim blue outline of a great sloping rock. He turned to one of his rude companions and asked, My friend, what is that rock to the south on our right? That is the vulture snack, Olmo Cliff, was the reply. Ordner sighed heavily. End of chapter 35